Welcome to Conversations with Ipswich School, the podcast where we speak with people in the school and those who've already left to find out what it's really like there. In this episode, we speak to Alex and Flora, two people with a passion for rights and politics. We hear about their experiences of measures the school is taking today, as well as life after Ipswich. And of course, we ask Flora where her favourite place is to hang out. And it's strangely similar to where Alex used to hang out before he left the school. So come with me while Saskia Jordan introduces our two guests for this episode. Hello, so welcome to Conversations with Ipswich School. We're chatting to former student Alex Yendel, who's currently studying at Oxford University. And joining us is Flora, current sixth former, with a shared interest in politics. So, Alex, welcome. Staff hi. Here are, hi. And uh, I've been told that staff here are still talking about your performance at the fundraising event for the refugee crisis. <laughs> um, they, they say you were driving the songs, and I quote, whipping up the audience like a superstar. Uh, <laughs> one of your teachers told me. I knew then that he would go on to do fabulous things. He's one of the most genuine and interesting young men I have ever met. So welcome. Hello. Which teacher was that? <laughs> <laughs> that was rare. <laughs> um, but it was endorsed by everyone. Um, and then there's another quote from someone saying, I think he's the new Billy Bragg. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> But Flora, this is what they said about you. So your teachers tell me that you're similarly impressive. Um, they said, do not be misled by her quiet, gently smiling nature. This girl is razor sharp and thoroughly prepared for discussion and debate. So no pressure for me then. <laughs> She's incredibly well read, but never flaunts her knowledge. Flora is principled, prepared and a woman of action. Do you think that's a fair assessment, Flora? I'm now wondering who said that about me. As well. <laughs> <laughs> Again, endorsed by everyone. Uh, so brilliant for me. I'm so excited to be talking to you both. Welcome to you both. Alex, what were you involved with when you were at school? Um, I did do hockey for a little while as well. Um, well after I first joined, I was I was a goalkeeper for the... I was also I, a goalkeeper. I, I am a goalkeeper. I? I think I was like <laughs> the year, year seven. I, I was in the B team for year seven and then I got then I got demoted and I was in the, the C or the D team in year eight. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were speaking to uh, George Pinner, who was also a, an old Switchian, who uh, yeah. he joined. He was a B-team goalkeeper, and now he's yeah. playing for Team GB. So never say never. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, I went in a very opposite direction to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So, that, I mean, so, yeah, I, I did I do that. I And so I, I'd never played hockey or, or rugby, really, before. So, so they were both new things that I did as soon as I joined um I also was involved with a lot of music stuff um which was some that like for me that was one of the core differences because I, I played piano from quite a young age but at least in my primary school there weren't really any opportunities to do anything and then and then I came to Ipswich and immediately there, there's so much stuff going on um so that was fantastic too so lots to get so sport music lots lots to to get stuck into and get involved with other than the lessons Definitely. um what what have you kept on from that since you've left school Alex um, I've kept up some of the music stuff, not to not to quite the same extent as in school, but um, so in so at, at school for a little while I I had organ lessons with uh, Mr Saunders. I think left a long time ago now, um, but I I took that up again in uni for a little bit. I was a, an organ scholar at St Hughes, so I sort of conduct the, the chapel choir and play organ from time to time, um, and I've also sort of still 
playing piano and like like jamming with people, but 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 nothing quite as as formalized as as when I was at school. Yeah. What about you, Flora? Apart uh, from hockey. Yeah. So I I played cello um, from year three right through till year nine or ten, I think. So I did all of the like classical orchestra. I didn't really play anything other than classical music. Then I mm-hmm. I stopped playing cello, um, and I play bass guitar. Um, which I adore, like I just, I love it so much. And it's such a different, (laughs) it's so different from playing exclusively classical music to going from that to playing whatever I want, really. That's (laughs) about playing a guitar because you can, you know, you can listen to a song on the radio and then try and figure it out and you can play along to it or play along to your favorite songs. Um, And I think it's, I mean, the stuff I learned for playing cello um, still stays with me. I can't read like sheet music without immediately translating it into how you play it on the cello which is <laughs> it's kind of frustrating sometimes but also it's just one of those things like I just think about the fingering every time um yeah. I, do, I do miss it sometimes I I like hear some cello in a song and I'm like oh god I really wish I still played still played it or had a cello that actually fit me so I could figure it out but yeah wow um so I'm going to move us on to your shared interest in politics Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to keep it topical for the moment. So we talk a lot at the moment about the student voice. Um, let's start with you, Flora. Why is this so important? I think the student voice is so important because it really is how students uh, want not only the student body, but also the school to react to, you know, situations that they feel passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's so important to, for students to see their voice reflected in the school because that is how people feel like they can or feel more welcome and it's easier for people to participate in the like wider school and in every element of school if they feel heard so um, I'm on the I'm on sick form committee and that is one of the things that I have found the one of the best ways to get student voices heard and have a very quick response like if you want something to be brought up and a very quick response you know back because it is basically a conversation with a group of sick formers Mr Cliff and Mr Calver they can give you responses really quickly and they will go ahead and work on them so um on anything on um you know social issues within the school right through to any academic issues you have at the moment obviously talking about going back to normal so stuff to do with covid restrictions quite a lot that was what our last committee meeting was pretty much all about but really anything you can bring up and you can represent your form as well so you ask your form what do you want me to say and they can give you things and other people a lot of time more than one person will say the same thing. And then they know that that is something that they actually need to react to, talk about, you know, email people about. So it's definitely one of the best places to have it heard, but it's also super important to have it heard in environments like that. So I was going to say, what are the best ways to be heard? But basically you're saying get involved, get stuck in, join a committee. Definitely. Um, we have a new um, system. I was on one of the groups that came up with it that was proposing this. Um, so we have a new system called Call It Out, which is another way. Um, and that's, I wrote an article about it in the occasion of last week, actually. And that's all about um, if you witness some kind of discriminatory or like prejudice behaviour, that you can basically submit not like a kind of just a report or just say what happened and you can put what you what you would like the best outcome of the situation to be. Um, and obviously if it's serious then you know the school can take action if it's really serious they can take action and if it's less serious or you put something like you just want some advice on how to deal with it in the future then you can also get feedback um, 
also get feedback from that and that's a really new thing and we're really trying to it's being trialed in sixth form at the moment so we're really kind of pushing for that to be used by students because it is a really good way of having help with those specific issues that you might not feel comfortable going to teachers in person to talk about which I know some people don't yeah I think I think it's a great idea um so you must feel very proud to have sort of got something moving and happening and yeah definitely Alex so you're obviously a very keen politics student um do you think the current movements around say me too everyday sexism show race in the red card just for example mm. do you see any parallels for that that sort of upsurge in movement do you see any parallels in history oh that's a really interesting question <laughs> well i have i have to admit i did get that from mrs tolemash <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a mrs tolemash question i'll be honest <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit of a burrow sorry <laughs> no no it's okay I'm just thinking so so like I have, I have to admit I, so I haven't studied sort of like social movements per se in enormous depth so I'm by no means an expert on this um but I think that but I think there are definitely analogies certainly to to say civil rights movements in the 60s or to um to, to women's rights movements in the in the 1920s and, and earlier it's one of those things where obviously there are disadvantages in the very short term that that might be brought to certain people but there is so much empirical evidence that ultimately these sort of sustained protests and sustained movements uh really do force people to to reflect um and to, to think about the way society is structured and whether or not that's that's fair um or, or correct um so yeah i i definitely think um there are there are historical analogies and that these things definitely can be very effective what do you think flora yeah, I would 100% agree. Um, I did the civil rights movements of the 60s as one of my GCSE, no, 40s, 50s and 60s as part of my um, GCSE. Uh, I think, you know, it's one of my really big interests are social movements and political movements. So I think you can always see whenever there are people who are unhappy, you will always see these kind of movements pop up and you can track it across, especially the 20th century. Um, like Alex said, like the like the 1910s with the women's um, movement mm. and then going into the late 50s, 60s with uh, women's lib and black civil rights and even going into the 70s and 80s with um, LGBT rights and, you know, the AIDS crisis, which sparked so many, you know, mass movements. I think your history does repeat itself um, and it's always going to yeah. repeat itself. And um, currently, I think history is probably repeating itself because people kind of distaste grows people get annoyed about things and people if if it sustains if it's not short term if it's not you know black if black lives matter was a was a month or something instead of being you know as long as it was especially in america it was you know months of protesting every week yeah. every day um if it carries on like that and it gathers the momentum that it does have it can really force change within within governments and i think until people get that change that they want so badly these protest movements are going to carry on and they'll grow and they'll, new ones will come up and some of them will die down and it'll just be it's the way history is it's the way it always has been so yeah yeah and so both agree. of you are saying so you Alex you're saying it's all about um sustaining the momentum is that yeah right? I think so I suppose just really making something so salient in in public discourse that it's impossible for people not to have to think about it because I think I think ultimately these things to some extent come down to to shifting public opinion um mm. like as, as in like you can change you can always change the law and you can always change institutions but it's not sustainable if you can't 
make public opinion supportive of it as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Flora? I think that's actually one of the biggest things at the moment is that, so with the Sarah Everard case and with all of the, mm -hmm. you know, the 97% statistic coming out, that's not, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that that's not to do with, it's not to do with law, it is to do with changing opinions and changing, mm -hmm. you know, you can pass something in legislation, that doesn't mean that people suddenly believe it, you know, gay marriage is legal, it doesn't mean that, that everyone supports it, you have to, you know, you have to change people's opinions and I think a lot of time with social movements people will try and find flaws with it or they will as they always have pinpoint the you know the tiny <laughs> tiny percent of that entire movement that is radical and that is the only bit that people talk about because it's you know it's the bit that is most outrageous so that is what people can talk about um but yeah. then that doesn't you know that doesn't let people change opinions that kind of does the opposite it normally turns people's opinions against it and I think that is something people have to work really hard on is changing people's opinions not changing you know legislation because as much as that can do it's not going to go the whole way that it needs to yeah I agree I mean I think I think changing legislation is is obviously it, like it, 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 it's one of the um what's the phrase it's like a necessary but not sufficient condition yeah. for these things right um because obviously you do have to change the law to try to to try to fix some of these inequities but at the same time, there's always the potential for things to be reversed or for there to be this sort of latent grievance in within society if you don't sort of take public opinion with you as well. And I mean, often changing the law can, can sort of redefine what norms are and can actually shift public opinion too. So like, I know that in the in the opinion poll data after gay marriage was legalized, once it became legalized and people realized, hey, look, it's not the end of the world, then public opinion became a lot more supportive. Um, That's so, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I think legislation can do a lot. Um, like you said, that's a really good example of it. And if you look at like um, how people feel to about things, the more people talk about it, the more it becomes kind of, I guess, acceptable to talk about openly. And the more the like people in power talk about it as well, and the legislation that gets passed, it definitely means that you can you yeah. can change things. It's the first step to changing things. Legislation is always the first step, but that doesn't mean yeah. that that's enough. I think that's the best way to put it um like yeah. it's always it's always what you need to do first the first thing you need to do is is get it in in legislation but after that public opinion is what you really need to change um my mp's tom hunt and he's a conservative and i have emailed him before <laughs> and i think we don't really realize that we can do that like mps so often or our representatives feel so separated from us that we don't yeah. feel as though contacting them will change anything but they do have to respond i know that <laughs> they do have to respond and if it really you know annoys enough people they will you know take action on it and try and and change something on it i think that's what people can always hope will happen um if you contact someone who is meant to represent you and is meant to you know be the person to amplify your voice in in government that's what you can and should do if you feel so passionate about something i think that's a really good point about contacting mps it's, it doesn't seem as as much of a cultural thing <laughs> in, in the uk than it does in the us um but it's a very important form of, of civic participation and also just I suppose just sort of within the mind of the MP, right? <laughs> MP, MPs don't have the resources to constantly go around doing like representative opinion polls of their constituency. Like the way they gauge what their constituents think is from the sort of anecdotal evidence of, yeah. of what people say in emails and correspondence. So, I, I mean, when there's something of interest, um, I always I always think it's worth emailing my MP just to Definitely. just to try to sort of push yeah. them towards that direction. Um, I don't know if it has an effect or not, but I'd like to hope it does. <laughs>
So that you must. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that you two are regulars in the uh, MPs email box. <laughs> oh, it's Alex. Here's Alex again. <laughs> well, Flora, we did get mentioned by Tom Hunt um, in a um, parliamentary subcommittee. So. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's all about um it's all about what we could do to help with the response to covid but you know he's mm. he's, he's he's clearly picking up uh, picking up our emails your emails um so i'm going to ask you now about um what should be happening in schools and universities what is happening um mm. perhaps if you answer from a school perspective flora mm. So yeah. we had Laura Bates in to talk to sixth form about everyday sexism um this week it's neuro neurodiversity week what do you think schools should be doing to address inclusion and diversity and in their education of young people? Yeah, so it's obviously it's a massive, a massive topic at the moment. I know I've seen a lot of stuff in the news about uh, schools and universities and with uh, a massive focus on decolonising what the syllabus really. Um, and I think that's one of the first things that schools can do. They can start teaching um, more diverse syllabuses. That's one of the things that I find really intriguing and really kind of I think important because to see yourself represented in what you're learning about is is so mm. important I remember when we did the suffragettes in like mm. year nine history or something and it was one of the first times I kind of learned about women who weren't murdering people um <laughs> that sounds a bit weird but you know Elizabeth, we did Bloody Mary and Elizabeth the first and Boudicca and those are like the three big people I remember studying and then the suffragettes were really the only women other than that that I kind of even now at A level that's to do with the actual like um that's to do with edXL it's not to do with the school but there are so few women on you know the history syllabus for example uh, we do uh, fascism the rise of fascism in Europe in the 20th century so we do Germany and Italy um, and in both those cases I think we've got one woman one 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 woman um, in Italy, and she's Mussolini's mistress. <laughs> so, oh, wow. yeah. So that's yeah. a bit. But um, English as well. We we've been doing a lot more women um, in, and I think even further down the school. Um, I know that they've started teaching the Hunger Games in English, which is so exciting to me. The fact that they're teaching it as like a serious, like here's a serious book to read, <laughs> because it's like so weird to me because I read it as like a dystopian fantasy novel. Um, but I think mm. it's really good. And the school are definitely, especially when they have almost the freedom to, um, you know, mm -hmm. it, when it's not based on GCSE syllabuses or A-level syllabuses, to actually push for more women, more people of colour, more um, like LGBT people on the syllabus. And that means that students do feel represented within that. Um, and I think other than that, exactly what the school are doing. Um, I am a massive fan of Laura Bates. <laughs> I, I was really familiar with her work before. Um, and everyday sexism was like borderline, like my Bible when I was in like year eight is what got one of the things that got me so oh. into feminism. So meeting her was really mm -hmm. surreal. Um, uh, and I think that and having a conversation afterwards. So we had discussions and that was amazing for all of us. I think um, it meant that we could all talk about, give feedback on the talk and say like, she was amazing. like all the girls were like, she was so good. Um, she was amazing. And the fact that she, we all felt, I think a lot of people saw themselves in her, especially the girls who are more out, outspoken about about feminism. We all mm -hmm. saw ourselves in her and her arguments 
of which we all kind of, I think a lot of us absorbed as kind of counter-arguments because she has the same thing said to her that we have said to us. And I think that was one of the big things because she discussed so well how to have that conversation with people who might be going on the attack towards you. You know, how to stay, stay calm, have this conversation and realise that maybe they don't say that what you're saying is affecting them, but the, the likelihood is if they're quiet, then it probably is. And they're kind of trying to uh, come to terms with the fact that what they're saying and what you're saying, you might actually be right in that situation. Um, and I think mm -hmm. it's probably the best talk that we've had at the school. Um, wow. A lot of people go into university having not had that much exposure to these issues at school. And like, Claire, clearly that's changing, or at least particularly in Ipswich, that's changing. And that's, that's a good thing. But it is still true that a lot of people, probably including me, to be honest, go, go to university having not not engaged with or, or really critically thought about um, these sorts of issues. So I think it's really important that at university there is uh, an, an, I suppose an appropriate space to, to learn and to, and to listen to people's experiences um, and to try to understand, um, to try to understand the sort of different disadvantages that certain groups of society face over others and what can be done to remedy that both at a sort of macro structural level and also at a sort of micro what you do yourself as an individual level um so yeah i i fully agree and the, the talk sounds sounds like it was amazing i think on the the decolonizing the curriculum stuff i think that's also very very valid so um i know at oxford that there's quite a lot of um people pushing for for things like this particularly with regards to history um so yeah. oxford oxford has a relatively um i'm not sure what the best, best word to put it troubled uh relationship with with certain parts of the world and um there's been things about the, the roads must fall statue outside of Oriel College um, and also other. So, for instance, another shocking statistic I saw, which was that I think there are only seven black professors across the entire university, which is which is absurd, especially considering the department um, or, or the university has. Yeah, I don't know how many people it employs, but but it, it's a lot. So mm. it, it, it's shockingly unrepresentative. Um, I think I fully agree with what you were saying about um, the representativeness of the people that get studied both university and at school as well. So a good friend of mine from undergrad um, actually had this campaign to um, try to reform the, the the music syllabus. I can't remember if it was GCSE or A-level music syllabus on the grounds that every single composer in the, in the set pieces was a man. Yeah, it's a bit ridiculous because obviously there are so many female composers, but you just don't hear about them or you don't, you don't know who they are. Um, but it's silly because there are so many of them. Um, and I know that there, there's somebody from Oxford who recently wrote a book about female philosophers. Again, similarly, like there are so many of them, but but you don't hear about them. And I guess on the one hand, this sort of neglect of certain groups of society is is, is incredibly bad and incredibly unfair for that group of society themselves. But also is to the detriment of the whole of society in terms of what we learn and how we all develop intellectually in the things that we do. So. Um, so, yeah. Wow, thank you. I was warned that um, we might be starting a revolution of our own by putting you two together. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, syllabus, watch out. <laughs> Gosh, um, that was really interesting. Academic excellence, Flora, are you working on a lecture at the moment? Do yeah, I um, I've applied to do one. Um, I haven't been accepted yet. Uh, deadline for them is today, I think. Today or tomorrow. Um, good luck. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, good luck. Um, I I have I am on the academic excellence program for history. Um, Mr. Clark, one of my history teachers, put me on it. Um, and yeah, so my my talk is um, on 
violence against women in war. So mm. sexual violence against women is one of the biggest weapons used in war all the way through history. Um, but it was only recognised as a weapon of war by the UN in 2014. So it's, it's such a big thing. And the more I look into it, um, the more I realise how widespread and how long spread it is, but how long it's been ignored. Um, yeah. And I really felt like it brought together my polit- political kind of um, interests with my history. It sounds like yeah. a really good topic. <laughs> I mean, a really important topic as well. Yeah. And Alex, what, what's your master's on? Um, so I study voting behaviour in sub-Saharan Africa. So wow. my um, so I've, I've I've just finished my master's thesis actually, um, but my master's thesis was was looking at how um, that so, so that, that there's there's been across the entire sort of African continent um, this massive increase in the uptake of mobile phone use in the last sort of fifteen years or so, um, and you sort of go through country by country and it, it's virtually everywhere with the exception of, of Madagascar for some reason I'm not I'm not quite sure why it's different there, but. Um, Basically, my thesis is trying to understand how um, how these how this new technology shapes the information that people have about politics and how that then affects their political behaviour. And the idea is that it's been done a bit when people talk about the Arab Spring and about propensity to engage in in, in social movements. Um, and it's been done also around the world, looking at how people um, take part in um, in various like forms of political violence. Um, but it's never been done looking at how it actually shapes how people vote and the decisions they make at the ballot box. Um, so then it's this sort of uh, all the way through. I'm trying to draw this analogy because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of academic work looking at how the rollout of of television um, mainly and also the rollout of the printing press shaped the way people vote in in Europe and in um, in uh, Latin America and in the United States in particular. Um, so it feels like there's this analogy to this rapid uptake in mobile phone use across sub-Saharan Africa. And basically what I try to argue and what I have some evidence for is that it, it makes people sort of consider the economy at a, at a national sort of macro level rather than just their personal economic circumstances. Um, and as a result, people become more responsive to economic inequality rather than just their own personal um, circumstances. That sounds fascinating. It sounds really interesting because, yeah. I mean, you kind of loosely look at voter behaviour, but really only on a UK level and really only mm. on, you know, um, social factors so like class race gender age but it i can imagine that there is a lot of kind of with every kind of new piece of technology there's a new kind of change that kind of stuff yeah really interesting what you were both saying about social movements and public opinion as well um Mm -hmm. we've come right back to how important both of them how interlinked they are um so thank you i'm going to ask you my last quick fire questions these are quite frivolous so bear with okay (laughs) um Where's your favourite place to hang out at school? Oh, um, either the kitchen, the sixth form centre, because that's kind of where we all go, or the top of the field. Everyone kind of hangs around near the long jump track, weirdly. Um, <laughs> I don't really know why, but we do. Um, but yeah, they're walking around the field. That happens a lot if it's too cold to sit down. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Alex? Where, where was your favourite place to hang out at school? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I, I know in the winter we used to, um, I can't what it's called now. So like, 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 like under the, um, the history department. Yeah. And then there's sort of, the, there are those doors at the end and you go in <laughs> and then there's a little sort of room where I think there used to be drama lessons. I don't know. I don't know if that still happens. Um, that sort of little corridor there and the bits with the radiators. 
and we, we used to go we used to we used to go there and we'd sort of like race to get there first so you could stand up against the radiator when it was really cold and we, we used to do a lot of just like walks around the field as well we'd spend the entire lunch break just doing laps of the field like talking it was yeah and nothing's changed Flora's still no. doing that it's like a I feel like it's a weird school tradition at this point like, like a rite of passage walk, <laughs> you have to walk around the field it's just the thing yeah and seriously last question for both of you what would you say to your younger 11 year old self who would like to go first oh god um i'll go first i'm off you go for i think my thing would just be please stop caring so much what people think about you <laughs> um, <laughs> that will probably be my main thing um i think it's the probably the biggest thing i've learned um just from you know i've become so much more if you talk to my teachers about this, they'll probably say the same thing. I've become so much more open and, and, and willing to say things. And I know people won't agree with it. And I'm fine with that. And I think you have to get to the point where you are willing to do what you want to do. Well, you know, uh, my whole thing is like, I want to have a positive impact on people. But I'm not going to be super concerned. Um, you know, if you disagree with me, that's fine. Um, if we, we can have a conversation about it, that's great. I'm willing to have a conversation about it. But um, if you don't have a conversation about it, that's also fine. And I don't, re I shouldn't be concerned that, you know, someone doesn't think something, like someone thinks something of me, or so, you know, someone thinks something about me, or someone wants to call me a feminazi. Like, that's not, you know, there's no point in, in worrying that people think that about you, because at the end of the day, who are they to say anything like that about you? You know, it doesn't matter. You are your own person. You are who you want to be. You put that out in the world and no one can say that you can't do that so exactly what so about you, you alex i don't know i guess I'd, I'd tell my younger self to just to i don't know to to not worry so much about not so much about the future but about like like longer term future and things that will happen right you know i went through so many phases of thinking I'm, I'm going to go to this uni i'm going to study this i'm going to be this one of all and like the, the amount of times i changed my mind is, is obscene and like how much time i wasted sort of worrying about this stuff <laughs> Um, so, so I'd say just sort of relax and like like work hard and know that, you know, just keep keep your head down and get stuff done and like things will turn out okay. Thank you. That's from both of you. Really insightful. Thank you. So I feel like we've we've covered um, it. Switch through to America to the sub-Saharan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we've revolutionised the syllabus. Um, we've heard the student voice. Uh, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. Um, that's all from us. So goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So that was Flora and Alex. Thank you to both of you for coming on to this episode. And if you have any questions following anything you've heard, then you can reach out to the school by visiting www.ipswitch.school. Now, if you haven't followed this podcast channel, then now is the time to do it, because it just means that when the next episode is released, you'll receive a small notification to let you know that it's ready, which means that you won't miss it. So go and do that now. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.